Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our series, Renovate. We all love to see a fixer-upper transformed into a dream home, right? So what needs renovation in your life, your family, career, a relationship? In this series, we'll explore the book of Nehemiah to discover God's blueprint for renovating your heart and house. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Everybody loves a good home renovation show. When a fixer upper gets transformed into a gorgeous home, it's like a dream come true. Oh my gosh. And when that kind of transformation happens in someone's life, it's even better. What needs renovation in your life? Your career, your family, maybe a relationship reno. Even when we can't see what could be, God sees that we are a fixer upper and he does great work. Renovate, a special series designed to help you get the walls back up. Together, we'll discover God's blueprint for restoring your heart and home. We all love a good before and after story to see a house go from shabby to chic. Hey. Even when we can't see what could be. Even when we. <laughs> so what needs renovation in your life? Your career? <laughs> no, your career. Okay, happy Father's Day, everybody. Hey, can we hear it for all the men in our church? Fathers, sons, brothers, grandpas in the house today. Praise God for you. Welcome to Liquid. Hey, this is actually a special Sunday for our church. Today is the grand reopening of our campus in Middlesex County. Can we hear for Pastor Ernie and our Middlesex peeps? We love you guys. Hope you have a great Sunday as you worship in Sayreville High School. Well, listen, if you are new uh, to Liquid, we're in the middle of reopening our church post-COVID. Goodbye, COVID. So it's, it's an exciting time to jump aboard, but we got a lot of rebuilding work ahead of us. In fact, yesterday we hosted a family work day in Passaic County. We got a brand new church home, and we're remodeling it. And it was a joy for Colleen and me. We got a chance to connect with so many of you, fathers and sons, singles, families, young and old, kind of weeding, mulching, washing windows, beautifying our new church in Wayne, New Jersey, and we had people from every campus. So I just want to thank you. Thank you so much for coming out to help. You inspire me. And uh, I got a lot of progress to tell you about here at our broadcast campus in Parsippany. The walls are going up in our clean water cafe. Did you see them on the way in? Make some noise. Yeah, man, if you're new, our church, we got a huge heart, uh, not just for coffee, but for families with special needs. And what we're doing is remodeling a brand new cafe that will be staffed by adults with special needs. So that means you'll be able to get your caffeine fixed this fall and bless the special needs community with employment. So to me, it was just thrilling to just see the walls going up in the progress on our church projects. Now, as we reopen and rebuild our church from the ground up, we're drawing our inspiration from a man named Nehemiah. Can you say it with me? Nehemiah, an Old Testament leader we've been studying. And what he did is he mobilized God's people for a giant reno project around 445 BC. It was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, the holy city, which were demolished by the Babylonian army who set fire to the city gates. They ripped down the walls so that God's people, the, the Israelites, they were vulnerable to attack. Until this very ordinary man named Nehemiah stood up. Nehemiah was a cup bearer just meant he was a butler in Persia. He didn't have power. He didn't have prestige, but, but give him this, Nehemiah, 
man had passion. And he said, guys, this isn't right. The wall is broken down. God's people are in disgrace. And somebody's got to do something about it. And it might as well be me. And so Nehemiah prayed. He planned and he traveled a thousand miles from Persia to Jerusalem. I mean, think about a thousand miles, okay? There's no Virgin Atlantic Express jet, okay? This would have taken him four months to get there. So I want you to imagine in your mind's eye, Nehemiah gets into his four-wheel drive camel. He drops it in the fourth gear, and he drives across the desert to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he expects to see the city gates looking like this photo. You guys know what this is? This is a modern photo of the Damascus Gate in Jerusalem. We'll visit it next year when we go to Israel. It's tall, it's strong, it's fortified to keep out enemy invaders. But when he arrives, the walls actually look more like this. <laughs> now, this is a photo from World War II, a British neighborhood that was firebombed by the Germans. That's what Nehemiah sees, piles and piles of burned out rubble, devastation, destruction everywhere he looks. And so he calls God's people together in chapter two. It says this, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, man? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and will no longer be in disgrace. And I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me. How many of you want the gracious hand of God in your life? And they replied, let us what? Say it together, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this what? Good work. Everybody say good work. Louder. Good. They're undertaking a great work for God. And they begin making progress, but run smack into opposition. Because here's the truth. Anytime you step out to do a great work for God, the enemy steps up. You got to expect opposition. As a follower of Christ, you and I have a spiritual enemy, the devil, who is dead set opposed to you doing anything that blesses people in need and brings God glory. And the devil will work like hell to knock you down. He will insult you. He will intimidate you. He will oppose you. But I am here to tell you, don't be afraid. Nehemiah is going to show us how to fight back. We're going to see this in chapters 3 and 4 in a message I've titled, How to Handle Haters. Because hate is going to hate. Who's ready to open God's word? You ready? Nehemiah rallies God's people to renovate. Chapter 3, this is where we are, verse 1, describes the reno process this way. So it says this. Eliashab, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. Now, again, let me show you a photo. The sheep gate in Jerusalem is where the lambs were brought to the Jewish temple to be sacrificed to God. So think about the symbolism. Just like Jesus, right? The Lamb of God was sacrificed as an offering to forgive our sins. People in Old Testament times, they sacrificed firstborn sheep at the temple. So catch this. The Jews rebuild the sheep gate first, which symbolizes the priority of salvation, our relationship with Christ. Amen. It says the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. Now, it's called the fish gate because this is where fishermen, watch this, from the Sea of Galilee would deliver their catch. They deliver it through the market, to the, through the gates there. It's kind of like, the, think of it this, this is how they brought sushi into the city, okay? It says they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Now, this is a key construction detail. The gates of Jerusalem were for security and protection. It's the only way in and out of the city through these massive, thick doors. So they laid these beams and they're, and they're, they're hammering bolts and, and, and bars into place. So this is major reno, major reno guys. This is, this is not, and, and notice the people are not professional carpenters. 
These guys aren't Jersey contractors, okay? They're holy people. They're ordinary believers. But everybody gets involved. Verse 8 says, Uziel, one of the goldsmiths, so he's a jeweler, he repaired the next section. And then Hananiah, this is the one, the funniest one, one of the perfume makers made repairs next to that. Now, I don't understand fully how a perfume maker knows how to hang doors. It's probably one sweet-smelling gate, right? The valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zenoa. They rebuilt it. They put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired, watch this, a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the what gate? What gate? The dung gate. How many would you would volunteer to work on the dung gate? This is the gate where they would they'd toss out the animal dung. You talk about a crappy job. This is maybe this is why they need the perfume makers, right? Here's a picture of the Dung Gate in Jerusalem today. Those of you visiting Israel next year, we will stop at some of these gates. It's pretty amazing. You can see them today. But it says, all told, Nehemiah and the people come together here in chapter 3 to repair or rebuild or renovate 45 times. So, so this, is a, this is a massive reno project, baby. This isn't like a little light spackling. <laughs> They've had 140 years of hopelessness, and suddenly they're like, we are getting at this thing, man. The holy city is going to rise out of the ashes. But, but, in the story of Nehemiah, they run into a little bit of trouble. I told you, man, when you step out to do something great for God, the enemy steps in like a flood. In the case of Nehemiah, a chorus of, of critics come out to mock him and his people. There's, in fact, there's three specific men who show up who they don't want to see God's work go on. They actually first show up in chapter 2, verse 19. I don't know if you caught this last week. It says, when Sanballat the Horonite Tobiah, the Ammonite official, I know these are weird, like Lord of the Rings names, just follow along. And Geshem, the Arab, heard about it. They did what? They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Now, who are these guys with funny names? Sanballat or Sambalot, Tobiah and Geshem. These are enemies of Israel, and they hated the Jews. They didn't want to see the walls rebuilt, man. They said, we want to keep the Jews weak. We got to keep them broken. We got to keep them dependent on us. And so they start kind of mocking, poke, making fun of Nehemiah for upsetting the status quo. They're like, what do you boys think you're doing? You, you going to rebuild this wall? <laughs> I don't think so. Now, if you're going to handle haters, step one is to acknowledge this. When God's work goes down, opposition goes up. In other words, the moment you start and set out, I'm going to do something that blesses people, that glorifies God, you can mark your calendar that spiritual opposition is going to show up in your life. There will be haters. There will be critics. There will be spiritual enemies who want to stop any progress you're making. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe the last few weeks, God, God spoke to you about doing something significant. Maybe you're rebuilding your family or, or you're rebuilding back your business, you know, after the pandemic or you're re-engaging in ministry. I'm coming back to church. I'm, I'm starting to serve again. And all of a sudden, you had opposition, right? I mean, it could be as simple. You decided to come back to church for like the first time in a long time. And on the way here today to sing praises to God, you got in the worst fight ever <laughs> with your family. You're like cursed all the way into the parking lot. You're like, get in there. We're worshiping Jesus. Opposition. Maybe God spoke to you through this series. He said, you know, baby, this, this is it. This is the summer. We are getting our family out of debt. 
We are not going to be a slave to MasterCard anymore. I am going to get a tattoo of Dave Ramsey on my arm. I'm going to put cash in envelopes. And the day that you declare that, your car breaks down. It's $800. Opposition. Or if you're trying to rebuild a family, it's Father's Day, and, 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 and you said, you know, I'm going to be the spiritual leader my family deserves. And we're going to pray together. We're going to join a small group. We're going to serve and liquid kids. And your teacher says, Dad, I'm, I'm not sure I even believe in God anymore. What? Opposition. Advancing the kingdom of God always invites enemy opposition, but I hope you'll understand this. Opposition isn't always a sign that you're doing something wrong. In fact, it's often a sign you're doing something right. See, here's something you got to understand about your enemy, the devil. He doesn't bother anybody who's not a threat. Understand? If you, if you don't make any waves, you keep your head down, the devil will actually ignore you and leave you alone. But the moment you step out and try to take spiritual ground for Jesus Christ, flags go up all over hell and demons are released to try and keep you from finishing what God put in your heart. Look at chapter 4 of Nehemiah. It says this, when, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became what? What's it say, church? Angry and was greatly what? Incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. He said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? They, will they offer sacrifices again? Are going to come in the sheep gate? Will they finish in a day? Come on. Can they, can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? By the way, if you're wondering, that accent is ancient Ammonite by way of Kentucky. I don't know what it is, but like this, as I was, as a parent, I, I just in my head, I imagined a bunch of guys standing around a construction site. You ever see that with the chain link fence? And guys are just kind of standing there pointing out all the problems. Like, what, what's all this hammering, man? You're doing it the wrong way. Anytime you take out a hammer, here come the sidewalk supervisors, right? Here comes the union guys. And we're going to stand around, and we're going to point out all the flaws, and we're actually going to taunt God's people. Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem, three stooges from hell. Verse 3 says this, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, yeah, Man, what they're building, listen, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their little wall of stones. He's like, you can huff and puff and blow that thing over. So Nehemiah steps out, and of course, a critic shows up. Why? Because when God's work goes down, enemy opposition always shows up. So if you're feeling discouraged today, I want you to be encouraged. Opposition isn't a sign you're doing something wrong. A lot of times it's a sign you're doing something right and righteous for God. Because whenever you do the will of God, Satan opposes the work of God. If you don't want any opposition, you're like, oh, I don't, I don't like this, Tim. If you don't want any opposition, you're like, man, I just want the American dream. I want an easy life. Let me tell you how to do it, okay? Can we just, I'll tell you, it's very easy. Well, you take off your tool belt and just kind of coast along spiritually. Risk nothing for Christ. Turn the air conditioning up. Live a comfy life. Create a safe little environment where you can take picture-perfect selfies, hashtag blessed, and curate a life that, that you think, you know, that you want the world to see. And you can even show up once in a while at church, but don't you dare do anything more than that. Don't you dare pray big. Don't you dare serve God with your gifts. Don't you dare give sacrificially, God. Don't you dare dream of fixing broken things for God because the moment you step out of your comfort zone, and you try to represent God's love to a broken world. When you step out, the devil will step in to stop you. 
But I came to speak to some men today that the devil may step in, but God is calling you to step up. Make some noise if you believe it. He's calling you to serve in his church, to pray, to tithe, to fight for your families, to show the love of Christ in a broken world. Because the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. And you got a spiritual enemy. The devil ain't threatened when you flow with the status quo. He's only threatened when you step out to advance the kingdom. That's when he attacks. So understand, leaders, you will have critics, yeah? You will have haters. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry, greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. Those feeble Jews, feeble. They restore their wall. You will have haters. You will have doubters. Who does Clint think he is leading all these young people and this newfangled worship? Who does she think she is trying to help battered women or, or fight for the unborn? Who do you punks think you are trying to pray in classrooms or bring a Bible study into your school? I want you to be encouraged. In the spiritual world, criticism is often God's confirmation you're on the right track. You know, the Bible, you know what the Proverbs says? The loudest booze comes from the cheapest seats. That's not Proverbs, by the way. That's Jersey. The loudest, what I have found in Yankee Stadium, the loudest boos come from the cheapest seats because the enemy is threatened you're taking ground for God. Guys, I remember when we, when we started building um, this ministry, we started way back, I mean, this is like before some of you were born, 2001. <laughs> we didn't have a building, and uh, we actually met in a tavern. So, so can you imagine this? Think about this. A ministry called Liquid that's meeting in a tavern, yeah? People are like, oh, I see why they call it Liquid Church. Oh, I get it. They're like serving beer, you know. Funny name, funny place. But we had a burning vision to start a ministry that would reach unchurched people, specifically 20-somethings. And so to reach people that no one was reaching, we did things no one was doing. The reason we called it Liquid, we said, hey, Jesus calls himself the living water. And we think like church should be the most refreshing place on the planet. And so people started inviting their their unchurched friends, non-believers, to this tavern because it wasn't intimidating, like a traditional church with a steeple. We, we didn't serve beer, just Bible. We served it up red hot. And guess what happens? It started growing from 12 people to 50, 100, then 150, 500. And suddenly, unsaved people who don't know God are tasting and drinking the, the life and the love of Jesus. And, and people are, are, are saying, I want to make him my Lord. They're getting saved. They're starting to serve their community. So Liquid 1.0 attracted a lot of non-Christians as well as a lot of critics, especially online. Because guess what? Nowadays, Tobiah, he tweets. Yeah? Tobiah's a troll. Sambalot has a blog. And people started throwing rocks and rumors online. They said, I drove by Liquid. I saw motorcycles outside. We saw people smoking in the parking lot. I think Pastor Tim was standing with them maybe. I don't know, secondhand smoker. And people mocked us. And they criticized our ministry. Listen closely, leaders. Anytime a Christ follower steps up to do something significant for God, you need to expect criticism to pour in because that's how the enemy works. It's like Sanballat and Tobiah. You, you feeble, you weak. What do you think you're doing? That, even a fox could knock it over. Criticism doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. A lot of times it's confirmation you're doing something right for God. I've talked to couples in this church who said, Tim, we feel God speaking to us and calling us to be foster parents. We, we've been praying, and God's giving us a passion to foster kids. And maybe you, you get that confirmation from God, and you get excited, and you actually 
share it with your family and say, hey, we're actually thinking about opening our home and fostering. And your mother-in-law says, why are you going to do that? You, you can't even take care of the two kids you got already. Oh. Criticism is deflating, right? It's like, it's like a gut punch to your, to your soul when it comes from your family. Or maybe you're, you're thinking about leaving a high-paying career because you feel God calling you to take a lower-paying position that better uses your gifts and talents. And you're like, man, I could make a, a big difference in the lives of people, but it's going to be less lucrative. And so you go out with your buddies and you, and you tell them what you're thinking. And they're like, Mike, what are you smoking? <laughs> you're, so you tell me you're going to work harder so you can earn less? Bro, that's stupid. How do you respond to critics? How do you spiritually respond to doubters, naysayers? She's not smart enough. He's not experienced enough. What happens when people throw shade at you? The answer, according to Nehemiah, is most of the time, you don't respond at all. Notice what Nehemiah does not do here. He does not reply, he does not answer, and he doesn't defend himself. Turn the New Testament, you look at Jesus. Jesus, all through his ministry, is mocked, he's insulted, he's taunted, he is badgered by a chorus of critics, and yet never once does Jesus respond defensively. He never deviates from his God-given mission of salvation. See, you can't convert a critic. When you actually respond to a critic, you actually give them power. I get criticized all the time online. I don't, I've just stopped counting. Those, I don't, I'm not online a ton, but like, how often do you see me defending? Almost never. <laughs> Why? Because my goal is not to change critics. My goal is to do the will of God. So I'm like, I'm going to stay above what haters say, what people post, and I'm just going to keep on loving Jesus. I'm going to keep loving his people. I'm going to keep serving his church. This is so important, men, learning how to respond to criticism, not defensively, but graciously. You don't defend yourself. You don't hit back, but you also don't be arrogant. You stay open to what you can learn from your critics. I'm like, every, every feedback is a gift to me, but ultimately I trust my God to handle it and sort it out. That's what Nehemiah does. Instead of get, look at this, instead of getting upset, he's like, Tobiah wrote a mean tweet. Nehemiah shows that real men who are criticized, watch this, take it to God in prayer. Did you see this? Look at verse four and five. Nehemiah prays, and this is a bit of a savage prayer. Just get ready for this. He says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. And then he says, I'm going to pray for my enemies. Here we go. Ready? Turn their insults back on their own heads. God, give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Now, let's just pause here. If this seems harsh, understand this is the Old Testament. Yeah? We're, this is before Jesus actually ever said, I tell you, love your enemies. <laughs> Pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. So Nehemiah is like, God, go get them. <laughs> Sick them. God, I, haters are hating on us. Turn their insults back on them. Go crush them, Lord. Now, this is not, he's got some room for growth, yeah? He has room for growth. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. Don't forgive them, God. For they've thrown insults in the face of the builders. I love it because Nehemiah doesn't pull any punches. I just love how raw and real he is, you know? He doesn't punch back at his critics publicly. Instead, he privately tells God on them. I can't tell you how many times I've done this over 20 years of leading this church. Instead of defending myself or our ministry, I go tell God on them. <laughs> like, I, I don't respond to, to critics or haters. What I do is I actually get on my knees in my prayer closet and I tell daddy about them. <laughs> 
I say, Abba, you, you need, I trust you to handle so-and-so. I, Lord, I can't change them. I can't shut their mouth, though I'd like to try. But God, no, I can't trust me. I have this flesh and blood. So God, you handle them. Keep my heart pure, and I'm going to trust you to do what's right here. See, prayer is grounding for a leader. I actually say, one of my prayers, uh, typically a lot of times I pray, because you never know what's coming, praise or criticism. I often pray, Lord, help me not be moved by praise, <laughs> things people say I'm doing well, or criticism. In other words, I'm not going to let praise go to my head, but I'm not going to let criticism enter my heart. I won't be moved by what people think, positive or negative, because I'm just going to stay focused on what God thinks. Listen, leaders, you are never more powerful than when you are leading and fighting from your knees and trusting God to handle any toxic situations. How does this look in real life? So if you're in a divorce hearing and, and things get nasty with your ex, and you go tell God about them instead of telling your friends. That's a Christ-like response. That's an anointed response. Or when someone at work maybe treats you unfairly, steals your credit, <laughs> instead of retaliating, you bring them before God and say, God, I trust you to take up my cause. Nehemiah doesn't answer his critics. He's like, because I answer to my God. Instead of going low, he turns to a higher power. He prays, and then look at this, step three. He gets right back to work. I love this. Nehemiah prays, and he's like, okay, guys, praise break over, prayer over, prayer time over. We're going back to rebuilding. Look at verse six. It says this. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached what? Half its height. You're half done with this project. For the people worked with all their, set together, church, all their heart. This is a picture of perseverance. And what I love about Nehemiah, he's one of my spiritual heroes, one of my models for leadership, is that he is both spiritual and practical at the same time. We actually see this over and over. Nehemiah prays like everything depends on God, because it does. But he works and leads like everything depends on him, because it does. He's both spiritual and practical. He's contemplative with a bias for action. Okay? And that's a model for us, man, because I think there's sometimes, I think there's leaders uh, who maybe need to be a little less practical and a bit more prayerful. I'm one of them. But I've also met Christians who are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. You ever meet people like that? All they want to do is tell you about, you know, what they read, the new insight, their prayer. And it's like, man, can we just roll up our sleeves and do some work here? God uses people who are a healthy mix, both spiritual and practical, who show up to pray, but aren't afraid to put in the work. So that's, a, that's, a, that's one of the ways you lead in the church. You, you, you pray like it all depends on God because everything does. But we're going to work like it depends on us because God works through his people. So what does that mean for you? If you're rebuilding your marriage in the season, I just want to tell you today, don't throw in the towel when the counseling gets hard. Roll up your sleeves, get back to work, stay in the fight. If you're fighting to stay sober, and maybe, maybe the temptation, you know, it's like we're out of COVID and the temptations are coming back and my old friends and my habits are pulling me back. Don't tap out. Push through, persevere, put in the work because the breakthrough is on the other side of that opposition. It's prayer and perseverance. It's a one-two punch in handling haters. Now you have to understand this. It's many rounds of boxing. The enemy will persevere too. Before the break, right before the breakthrough, he will pour it on the hardest. Look what this, verse 7 says this. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the people of Ashdod heard the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they was pissed, very angry. 
So they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem, stir up trouble against it. We're going to incite some stuff here. But what do we do? We prayed to our God, and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Do you see a pattern here? Nehemiah prays. Nehemiah perseveres. He posts a guard to protect his people. But eventually, some discouragement sets in their heart. Verse 10 says this. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is given out. There's so much rubble. We cannot rebuild this wall. In other words, these guys are hammering away brick by brick. But remember, the walls of the city looked like this. There was so much. It was overwhelming. And so the people start to lose heart. They're like, man, Nehemiah, man, I think we bit off more than we can chew, bro. <laughs> Maybe we can't complete this after all. Maybe the cafe is a pipe dream. Maybe Wayne will never open. Maybe we won't find a place for Monmouth. They start doubting their ability to finish the work. And I don't know about you, but for me, the most difficult opponent for me is actually internal. It's not the voices out there. It's the voices in here. When my own insecurities raise their ugly head and say, who do you think you are? You don't have what it takes. You're not enough. I'm guessing there's somebody here today who's struggling because you're listening more to your inner insecurities than you are to the truth of who God says you are. The enemy wants to tell you, you're too old, or you're too young. <laughs> you don't have enough experience. You don't have enough money or energy to do that. And suddenly the spirit of defeat and doubt starts to cripple you, which is a classic strategy of Satan. Don't forget this, the spiritual stakes. These are the people of God rebuilding the city of God, which is home to the temple of God. So this is spiritual warfare. It's the enemy of God trying to discourage the people of God from completing the job. And guys, this is too is part of the Christian life. In fact, I want to share something personal with you. I've only shared this once before. It goes back over 20 years. When Colleen and I first launched Liquid in the Tavern, and suddenly hundreds of people start coming, and, and people are giving their lives to Christ, and there's like all this momentum, and we we're so excited. Our leaders were praying, volunteers are serving, and we just had this like growing sense like of destiny. Man, God's going to use Liquid in a unique way to impact the next generation for Christ. I remember one Saturday, Colleen and I um, went to the store to actually buy some snacks for liquid on Sunday. It was a grocery store, so we had to buy snacks in those days, you know, for Sunday. And, uh, and we get in line, and this girl in front of us, she was a 20-something, probably a college age, she has a shopping cart, and it's filled with booze. Like, ton of alcohol. I'm not just talking like, you know, White Claw wine coolers. She had like Jack Daniels, you know, vodka, tequila. And we're like, whoa. And as we're waiting in line, her friends go, hey! And they come running up and they have these party balls they're carrying. Like, and they put on the car and everything. And they're right in front of us. And the clerk goes, uh, hey, big plans, ladies? And these college girls, literally, I think they were already a little toasted. They just start going off. They're like, we're going to get lit this weekend. <laughs> and they start talking actually very, very crassly about, about hooking up with, with, with other guys. And I think they had dr probably drunk a little bit already. And out of nowhere, this one girl says, yeah, it's going to be an awesome weekend. At least Tracy and her loser Christian roommates won't be there. And they actually all start hating 
on these stupid Christians on our campus. They're prudes, they're losers, everybody hates them. And the clerk actually starts laughing. And Colleen and I are standing there with our snacks for Sunday school. And I realize these are exactly the people God's calling us to reach. Like 20-somethings without hope, without Christ. And so we pay and we get in our car. And I'll just be honest, I, driving home, I just started feeling discouraged. Kind of felt like my shoulders slumped, like deflated. And then, this is the part that I don't want to freak you out. But as I was driving, I felt a palpable presence, a heavy blanket like come over me. A, a tangible like spirit of oppression that was just like, what is going on? And I had to pull over. I pulled the car to the curb. And it's hard to describe this to you, but I literally, my hands are on the wheel. It was like an out-of-body experience. I felt paralyzed. Like, have you ever had a dream where you're scared and like, you try to scream, but your lips actually can't move? I actually couldn't speak. And Carl's like, Tim, what's wrong? What's wrong? I was like, I was frozen. I actually couldn't lift my arms. My lips wouldn't open. And I, I'm not a fearful person. I had this wave of fear come over me. And I heard this accusing voice say, I'll never forget these words, apologies. This is how the enemy speaks. Who the F do you think you are? This is my show. I'll never forget that. I knew it was the voice of the enemy because I don't talk that way. <laughs> and my daddy don't talk that way. It was very scary. It was very intimidating to me. And I remember I just like, oh, I don't know what's happening. And called put her hand on me to start praying for me. And I actually had tears. She said, you were just like, tears were coming out of the sides of your eyes. I just sat frozen for two or three minutes in this heavy wave of oppression, very real, very palpable. It kind of, and then kind of passed. And we went home. I was like, I don't know what that was. Am I like having a panic attack? And the next day at church, I told my pastor about that. And he said, Tim, make no mistake. That was a spiritual attack. That was the voice of the enemy trying to abort the liquid baby before it's even born. And I didn't fully understand it at the time. But I look, I look back now, 20 years later, I realize that's a satanic attack. The revela revelation calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. And because God had put a God-given burden to reach the next generation with the, the gospel of Jesus, anytime you step out to take, to take steal, at, steal ground for the kingdom from the enemy, you got to expect him to intimidate you. Who the F do you think you, you think you're going to change the party culture on campuses for Christ? That's my show. I own that. Don't mess with me. That next generation is mine. And if he can't get you from outside critics, he will oppose you with internal condemnation. Thoughts, ideas, voices, whispers, accusation. Who do you think you are to foster a child? Who do you think you are to start a Bible club in your school? Who do you think you are to defend the unborn? Who do you think you are to start a ministry to inner city kids who are under-resourced? You're just a stay-at-home mom. You're a student. You can't, I understand you have your little dream journal and you got your, you, you know, you, you, got, you don't have what it takes. You can't even pay your own bills. And the enemy will plant these seeds of doubt and discouragement to intimidate you from stepping up. And if you let it, watch this, watch this, it will paralyze you. And so I'm just telling you, Christians, you've got to learn. 
we have to learn to fight back in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Amen? The devil may be strong, but your father in heaven is stronger. So if you're discouraged today, you got to do what Nehemiah does in verse 14. It says, I, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember who? Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Make some noise if you believe it. Nehemiah says, remember the Lord. Say it with me, church. Remember the Lord because the battle belongs to him. I'm preaching to somebody now. <laughs> you may be here on Father's Day and you're discouraged and you feel defeated, deflated, dismayed, but God told me to tell you, don't be afraid, have faith, and remember the Lord. Nehemiah says, remember, guys, we were enslaved in Egypt. Remember how the Lord led us out? He's like, you remember how our God fought the, uh, Pharaoh with 10 plagues? We had no weapons. <laughs> Do you remember how we were caught between a rock and a hard place? Pharaoh on one side, the Red Sea on the other. And our God split the sea. And we put our feet on solid ground. And when people lost courage, Nehemiah called them to remember the Lord come through for you. And he's calling you to do the same. Let me tell you, whenever I get discouraged, and I do, everyone's like, you're just always hyped. I get, I'm just human. I get discouraged. Like this past year, my gosh, during this pandemic, our campuses closed, church scattered. In those moments, I remember, I remember how the Lord spoke to me not in a car, but I was driving a lawnmower. I was a teenager in high school. And he said, Tim, I want you to preach my gospel in a fresh way. It's going to grip hearts and minds. I remember how we started this ministry with no money, in a basement, no building. I remember how God provided a, a hotel ballroom to start the church 14 years ago. And when I feel discouraged, I remember how he gave us our, our first building, Mountainside Campus, free, a free building. Come here for Mountainside. And then, and then I remember how the Lord gave us Garwood and then he, another one now in Wayne. I remember, I remember these things. I remember how the Lord miraculously gave us his property in Persephone. And I remember we had no money. He provided the funding through generous people. I remember how the Lord gave us nine zoning variances in a single meeting. That's a miracle in New Jersey. <laughs> I remember because the Lord is behind all of it. Amen. And so at moments when you feel overwhelmed, we think I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough to finish this task. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome because your strength is in the Lord. So if you're discouraged today, men, I want you to take time. Reflect back how your father in heaven protected you how your father provided for you, how your father in heaven put his favor on your life through the years and make it personal. This is the last step as I wrap up. Nehemiah says this, when, you, when you're ready to throw in the towel, he says, where's my Bible? He says, remember the Lord. And I love this, verse 14. He says, I want you to fight for your family. Look at verse 14. Listen, cool, look at this. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome and say this together. Here we go, church, ready? Fight for your families, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. He's like, if you won't fight for yourself, fight for those you love. How about your kids? How about your spouse? How about your home? There are people in your life who can't make it without you, and when you, who need to feel the love of the Father through you, and when you stand up to fight for them, he will give you a spiritual strength you'll never have on your own. Can I ask the men here on Father's Day, who are you fighting for? Maybe God's calling you to fight for your son who's going down a wrong path. 
It's getting tangled up in porn, or maybe it's the fight for your daughter. She's getting social media, the webs of social media, and partying and all that, and God's calling you, don't give up. Lean in, fight for them. I understand you're an idiot to them. We all are. We're all, all fathers are idiots. Don't give up that fight. Lean in. Maybe God's calling you to fight for your marriage. I, I don't want to be cavalier. Maybe you've been through, through a rocky season here, and, and, and you're like, man, there's some damage to him. Talk about a reno. Oh, man. Maybe some of it's your fault. But God's calling you, don't you give up. You fight for your wife. Fight for that girl. Fight for your family. Rebuild that relationship. Nehemiah says, fight for your family, sons, daughters, wives, and homes. How about your church home? Will you help us rebuild this place? Because we need your help. Maybe God's calling you to fight for kids with special needs. And you're like, I got to get back in the game. I got to be a buddy. I got to be a voice for the voiceless. Or you're, you're going to fight for the hungry and the homeless because you're like, they're the ones no one cares about. And God's put them on your heart to serve. Or maybe, maybe you're going to fight for lost people who don't know Christ yet. See, when I got discouraged this past year, you know what picture I often look at in my phone? I just go back into it. Let me show you the photo. This photo means a lot to me. It's a picture from our beach baptism in Ocean Grove a couple summers ago. You remember that? I will never forget that day. Hundreds of, of men and women and little boys, little girls, waded out into the water to publicly proclaim, I belong to Jesus. Guys, we invaded the Jersey Shore for Jesus. <laughs> and the water was freezing, but our hearts were burning. And we saw our God-given vision coming true before our eyes, saturating the state with the gospel. And God, by his grace, our little church, we got baptized something like 2,400 people in Jesus' name. It's been almost two years since our last baptism because of COVID. But by God, we're going to baptize hundreds more this year and get back to our core mission of saving souls in a wicked world in Jesus' name. So the faces on those people, that inspires me to fight. So as we close, let me ask you again, who are you fighting for? I want you to get a mental picture of one person, one name, one face, someone in your life who you love who needs to experience the love of Christ. I get it. You maybe feel tired. You may feel discouraged. Friends may criticize you. Family members may scoff, but don't you ever give up. Do what Nehemiah charges us here. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Who do you love that's worth fighting for? Because we are building this church for them. And 10 years from today, we'll look back at the family of God and, and see new members and remember what the Lord did on our behalf. Amen? All our campuses, would you open your hands and pray with me? Come on, just I want to pray a blessing over you. Let's talk to our Father in heaven. Father, today, you have stirred our hearts through your word. Thank you for this word, God. Move us now to do your will. I ask for a greater deposit of faith in these people as we pray today to you, Father. Look at your people right now. Lord, you're looking down on us and I... I'm guessing you see people. There are people here right now who are facing opposition. As we're praying, our hands are open. Maybe you have internal doubts. Maybe you have struggles in your, your family or setbacks financially. Maybe, maybe you're here today and your kids are doing things that scare you. You don't know how to change your direction. Maybe you got pressures and aging parents and challenges and stress and you feel fatigue. I'm just telling you, your Father in heaven brought you here right now to take your eyes off that obstacle and invite Jesus to be strong wherever you're weak. It's in your weakness in this moment that God's strength is made perfect.
talking to all of our locations, those online. If you're facing some opposition in it and you're like, I need the power of God, I need the presence of God, would you lift your hands right now? Just lift them up, right up. Come. Lift your hands up as a way of reaching out. God, right now, in a strange way, I thank you that your people face opposition because we know when we're doing your will, it's the enemy who's trying to stop your work and he can't do it. He can't do it. The, the, the spirit in your people is greater than the spirit in the world. So we take comfort right now. We draw strength from you, Christ, empowering us. Father, in Jesus' name, with these hands raised up, I pray for miracles. I pray for breakthrough, God. I pray for supernatural healing, God. I pray for provision from heaven. God, we know in this world we'll have trouble, but we take heart because you've overcome this world through the resurrected Christ. So strengthen us, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Everyone said together, amen. Let's give God a praise, church. Give him a praise. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.